0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today we find ourselves in the book of Zechariah. It's the hardest of the minor prophets, and it's the longest of the minor prophets, 14 chapters, and we've got 30 minutes to get through it. So it's going to be a fly-through. I'll stop and dig down on a few things and point a few things, but most of it we're just going to have to fly over and trust that you read it through, and as you pray, God will teach and enlighten you. So let's pray and ask for God's help as we plough through this book a great book Heavenly Father thank you again for your word thank you for the opportunity we have to not just the freedom to read it but to hear it taught to think about it and to hear your voice speaking to us your truth that our lives might have meaning and significance and that we might serve you and live according to your will so Lord teach us and speak to us we pray in the name of Jesus amen Zechariah was Born in Babylon and returned to the city of Jerusalem along with the first group of exiles. There were several million people of Jews living in Babylon, and when the edict came for the freedom to return, something like about 50,000 people returned, roughly. If you have a look at Ezra chapter 2, two out of 15 of those were priests. Zachariah is from a priestly family. He tells us that in chapter one. And Zechariah also uh, is very good at dating his prophecies. Um, so he has a priestly background. He's not just a priest now. He is a prophet, a young man probably, who overlapped with Haggai. They were contemporaries. Haggai, I think, would have been older. And for a couple of months, they were preaching to the same group of people about the same issues. <clears throat> and then suddenly Haggai stops, don't know why, whether he passed away or whether he moved on or whatever it was, Haggai ministry was short and sharp and very effective. And the baton is passed to Zechariah, And Zechariah picks it up in exactly the same year and uh, in that same period of four months that Haggai was speaking. And he basically says to the people, it's time for us to rebuild the temple. It's time for us to get our lives right with God. And he speaks very much in the first eight chapters into the contemporary current situation. And then from chapters 9 to 14, the second half of the book, Zechariah looks ahead, thousands of years ahead, as it will turn out. And it's two different halves of the book 1 to 8, contemporary situation, 9 to 14. Two heavy burdens or oracles. And the book is filled with references to the Lord Jesus. In fact, the book of Zechariah is quoted something like um, 41 times, something like that, in the New Testament, Um, and particularly in that second half. His name means God remembers. Um, You don't need to know this, but there are about 29 other Zecharias in the Old Testament. God remembers. And in this case, God remembers his people. Um, contains a wonderful, right in the middle of the book, there is this wonderful description at the end of chapter 6, this coronation ceremony at the end of some visions and before the two oracles. There is this, God instructs Zechariah in a vision to uh, make a crown of gold and to crown not Zerubbabel the governor, but to crown Joshua the high priest that the high priest would become king. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus, of the Messiah. That had never happened in Israel before. There was a clear separation of officers. In fact, you can look at Israel's history and you can see that over 2,000 years, about every 500 years, they had a different style. Um, In the first 500 years, they were led by the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then the next 500 years, from 1500 to about 1000 BC, they were led by prophets, from Moses to Samuel. And then Samuel, you'll remember, anointed David as the king. And so then for the next 500 years, from about 1000 to about 500 BC, they were led by kings. And then from 500, with the return of the exiles, they are led by priests. The high priests became the leaders. When Jesus was here, when he came, The priests were still in charge. They were the leaders of the Sanhedrin. Uh, God was giving his people all different forms of leadership and all of them failed because what needs to happen in the ultimate leader, the Messiah, Jesus, is that he needs to be the prophet, the priest, and the king, all in one, and they will be his officers when he returns to rule and reign. Zechariah, as I've said, falls into these two parts, chapters 1 to 8. And those first eight chapters begin with and end with like a a separate little section. Verses 1 to 6 of chapter 1, let me read you part of that. It's a wonderful invitation that God gives to the people who have returned, which is still relevant to us today. Uh, Zechariah says, chapter 1, verse 1, In the eighth month of the second year, um of darius the word of the lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of berechiah the son of Ida. that's how we know he's a priest the lord was very angry with your forefathers therefore Zechariah tell the people this is what the lord almighty says return to me declares the lord and i will return to you don't be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed this is what god says turn away from your evil ways and your evil practices But they wouldn't listen. and They wouldn't pay any attention to the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? Well, they're gone. Where are the prophets now? Well, they likewise. They have also gone. It's a window of opportunity to listen to God and to respond to him. Um, And the Lord says in verse 6, But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? Zechariah is saying to the people, Listen to God. Your forefathers didn't, and now you've returned, and you can see the city and the wall in the temple in ruins. This is the result of their disobedience. It's continued. It's still evident. Don't be like them. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, is how James says it. And it's a word still relevant for us today, to turn to God, to draw near to him. And then follows, he dates it, On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah and he has a vision. In fact, he has eight visions on that one night, all on that same date. Or you could understand it as it's one vision with eight different segments. And it's worth a nice, slow read-through. We won't have time for that. So I'm going to give you just the highlights of it. In these eight visions, he is talking about the current situation in Jerusalem. And he talks in the first two visions about rebuilding the temple. He talks in vision three about rebuilding the city, extending the city. And then he talks about the leaders, and then he'll talk about the people's condition. So, in, And there's this refrain going through all of the eight visions of, then you will know then you will know that I am the Lord. When this happens, then you will know. It's God giving evidence that he is with them, that he is strengthening them, and that they are doing his purpose. Though they're small in number and they feel insecure and they've been greatly discouraged by the neighbors and by their cruel remarks and their opposition and all other sorts of accusations being made, but God raises up Zechariah to encourage his people. In vision one, Is a picture of four horsemen, angels. The visions are all apocalyptic. There are some weird pictures and things to understand, a bit like the book of Revelation. These four horsemen are God's press agents. They go throughout the whole earth in the four directions of the compass and they report back to God and they come back saying, There is peace everywhere. In other words, the nations are not at war right now. So you don't have to worry about having a military, you don't have to worry about being invaded now is a window of opportunity for you to rebuild the temple to get on with the job that's the first vision the second vision uh, four horns and four craftsmen or four blacksmiths Um, and basically the blacksmiths are going to come and they're going to dehorn the altar they're going to rip the horns off horns were like the horns of a cow or of a bull were um, implements or pictures of strength, of power, and God is going to dehorn the nations that had conquered or invaded Israel before. Again, it's time of peace. No need to worry about invasion. The third vision is of a man with a a measuring line, a tape measure, and he's measuring the walls, the length, the city of Jerusalem. And it's, it's a picture of Um, the city's going to be too small, the population's going to grow, more people are going to come, Jerusalem will expand. Uh, That was God's promise. And then associated with that is this wonderful promise that God, in fact, would be their wall, that he would be the one who would uh, defend them. Uses that wonderful expression about, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye, that very delicate part to us, that God's people are very precious to him and that he is going to protect them and look after them. This is certainly being fulfilled. Back in time of David, Jerusalem was a small city, about 11, 12 acres in size. Today it's about 47 square miles. Back then had a population of about 2,000. Now it's got a population of almost a million, 900,000 or thereabouts. Jerusalem is expanding. And as Zechariah will say later on in his book, Jerusalem will always be there. God will make sure that the city endures. Um, God says he's going to deal with the nations. Um, Some of the Gentiles will turn and follow God. They'll join the people of Israel. Uh, Other nations will continue to be unrepentant and they will resist God and come against the Jewish people. And God says he will fight them and he will remove them. Um, The next vision is uh, one of Joshua in chapter 3 where... He's standing there, the high priest is standing there, and his clothes are quite dirty, and he's unclean. And standing to his right, suddenly, is Satan. Satan doesn't often appear in the Old Testament. He appears in Genesis chapter 3. He appears in Job chapter 1. He's at the end of the book of Chronicles, and he's here in Zechariah chapter 3. He's at the right-hand side, which is the side of accusation in the ancient courts. And Satan is saying, you can't use him because he's unclean. And in the vision, you have um, Joshua being cleansed and a new robe being put on him and him being a a brand plucked from the fire. He's been saved. And God is going to use him to rebuild the temple and reestablish the nation. It's a, a picture of promise. The fifth vision is one of the golden lampstand, the menorah, and two olive trees, and there are pipes connecting the olive trees to each of the branch, these branches of the menorah, and there's the picture of an unending supply of olive oil to the lampstand. Um, you won't have to refill the lampstand anymore because there's going to be this abundant reservoir of it, of an endless supply. And then there is that very famous verse that most of us have heard. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord, chapter four, verse six. It's not by military might, it's not by political power, it's going to be by the work of my spirit that the kingdom will be established. And that's a word for us today too, that too often the work, the Lord's work, is done in the the power of our own flesh, our own abilities, relying on ourselves. And um, when Jesus came, he came with no army. He came to do, the father's will and he said his kingdom was not of this world and so too we need to be filled with the holy spirit and we need to be in tune with him and walking with him in obedience and god working through us vision number six of the eight is of a flying scroll a large scroll size of a billboard it's five meters by ten meters and it's got writing on both sides and it's curses going out and it's a God's word basically going forth, and if it lands on a house, it will expose the sin of the people who dwell in there. Um, this is God's standards against lying and stealing and blaspheming him. Sins against God and sins against people. And God is going to cleanse. The next vision is a strange one of a, a, a woman not a very nice woman, in a basket, a large basket, about 35 litres size. And she's picked up by these two other women. The only time in the Bible that angels are feminine. And these two angelic women pick up this large basket with large wings that they have and they fly to Babylon where they leave this horrible, wicked woman. It's a picture of sin being removed from the city of Jerusalem and being deposited in Babylon that Babylon is going to be a place of wickedness just like in the book of Revelation and the last vision of the eight is of four chariots paralleling a little bit the four horsemen in the first vision and again these are God's agents doing God's will in the world and they they ride their four chariots throughout the four directions of the compass and it's God keeping watch over his world and then three men arrive who have um, silver and gold with them, and that's that coronation process. They make a crown from that and they crown Joshua, and it's that incredible picture of the high priest becoming king. And as I said at the beginning, it's the only time that's ever happened. Once in Jerusalem before was with a guy called Melchizedek, and Jesus is a priest after the line of Melchizedek. So Zechariah ties these things together and it's a promise that if my people diligently obey me then they will get that king and of course we know that they didn't obey and they rejected their king chapter seven to eight is about a delegation comes from the north from bethel which means the people are starting to spread out the population is growing and developing in judah and they've come and they've got a question for the last 70 years in babylon We've held fast in the fifth month and in the seventh month. And we held fasts in those months because that was the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city, the walls of Jerusalem. Do we keep holding these fasts? How long do we have to remember the past, the bad things that happened? And the prophet, God, corrects them and basically says, your fasts are all about yourself. The fast that I want you to hold is to be generous, be kind, be helpful to one another. In chapter 7 um, be good and concerned about one another just like Isaiah 58 and then they have another question not only did we have these two fasts we also held four feasts four celebrations they were party times in the fourth fifth seventh and tenth month uh, this is in chapter 8 and um, God says turn those holidays into holy days Make the festivals times to celebrate his presence and make him center of their life. Um, To praise him and to thank him that God has brought them back to the land, that God is watching over them Um, and that they need to get ready because God is going to bring others. Gentiles will come. Many people will come and join you and join the people of God, which we know as Gentiles, we've been included, grafted in to the olive tree. Well, that's a race through chapters one to eight. When we come to 9 to 16, it's a very different book. This is a long way into the future. It's in different language, in different contents. It uses, even the name of God is different. In the first half, first eight chapters, it's all about the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. In the second half, in chapters 9 to 14, it's Yahweh, the Lord. Um, There's no mention of the temple. There's no mention of Joshua. And it's not to do with the current situation, but it's in the future and it's like pictures of a jigsaw puzzle. We have the pictures, but we don't have the master plan, so we're not sure how some of this fits together, and as you read it through, some of it seems to be out of order, and it's very difficult. Some of it we just have to wait and see, but other parts of it, we understand the picture, because we live 2,000, 2,500 years after Zachariah, and we can look back and say, oh, That's what he was talking about. And you'll see many pictures of the Lord Jesus through chapters 9 to 14. And this is where, as I said, the book, the New Testament, quotes this section of the prophet very often. Um, Chapters 9 to 14 fall into these two parts, 9 to 11 and then 12 to 14. So these two heavy messages, two oracles it's called. And in 9 to 11, the focus is on Israel, Israel in the future. And in the second oracle of 12 to 14, it's more the international scene. It's what's going to happen to the nations. And in both sections, there are references to the Messiah. So it's the nation, the nations, and the Messiah. That's pretty much the theme that runs through. And just quickly... um, in 9 to 11, there are six pictures. The enemies will be vanquished. The city of Jerusalem will be solid and secure. The king of peace will come into the city riding a donkey. We know that story. Um, and he came as not as the king who would conquer, but the king who would redeem. And the Jewish people, of course, rejected him. In the future, they will look on him whom they have pierced and turn to him. Um, But this king is the one who will bring peace and righteousness. And the prophet says his dominion will go from sea to sea. It's then a picture of a shepherd, of a good shepherd who will fight the good fight uh, for his people. And then in chapter 9, there is this remarkable reference uh, to the country of Greece. This is centuries before Greece is a power. And there's a prophecy even about that in chapter nine the people are going to be regathered it's going to be a highway from egypt to Assyria to iraq um, all of the nations around are going to have all the trees cut down they're going to be deforested the oaks of bashan and the cedars of lebanon will be gone that has almost happened um, a shepherd will be paid 30 pieces of silver and it'll be thrown into the house of the Lord and uh, it'll buy a potter's field we know that story with Judas and so that's chapters 9 to 11 this picture of the nation of Israel and God at work but there are mixed pictures then in 12 to 14 it goes to the international scene in 12 to 14 Jerusalem the city is the center becomes the international center of the world it would appear uh, it's mentioned 21 times it's not mentioned in nine to 11, but here it is in 12 to 14. It seems to be the center of world government is going to be Jerusalem. Well, that's certainly still future. Um, there's a picture of uh, international uh, troops, uh, a United Nations force, if you like, coming against invading Jerusalem. That hasn't happened, that's still future. It's a picture of uh, the Inhabitants of Jerusalem grieving, being hurt and wounded, this seems to be out of order. Um, the population is going to be reduced by about two-thirds. Um, we'll just have to wait and see if uh, how that comes to pass. But when you get to chapter 14, it reads very much like the day of Armageddon and the invasion of the nations and uh, the king standing on the Mount of Olives and that dividing and... Uh, and Jesus reigning over the world from sea to sea. So, eight visions, two oracles about the nation of Israel, the nations internationally, and primarily the Messiah, the King who would come. Two truths out of Zechariah just for us. God certainly um, invites us to return to him, and he invites those who are estranged from him not walking with him to repent and turn to him that's a relevant message still today draw near to him and he will draw near to you and secondly chapter 7 reminds us god doesn't like and doesn't want empty ritualism he wants an authentic relationship he wants us to be real with him he wants us to be obedient and to live as he wills to do his will and chapter 7 particularly highlights that for us i have a read of it Um, Stop going through the motions um, and pour your heart out to him. Be real and authentic with him. The book of Zechariah, the hardest, the longest. I commend it to your reading. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Zechariah. Thank you that we can learn from it. And I pray you'll help us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to rely on your spirit and not on our own power or might. And help us, Lord, to be authentic in our walk and relationship with you. We ask this again in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.